this is Contra Radio from Contra.Scot. Hi folks, David Jameson here, editor of Contra.Scot. Joining me on the second day of the UK Supreme Court case, which is deliberating over whether Scotland can hold an effective uh, referendum on Scottish independence, is Dr Nick McCarroll, a senior lecturer in law at Glasgow Caledonian University and an expert on constitutional law, to discuss the meaning uh, of what's going on down in London, perhaps as well some speculation on the chances of the various sides. But first of all, Dr Nick, thanks very much for joining us. Pleasure, David. So first of all, can you just tell us what the different advocates in the court today were arguing from the Scottish government perspective and the UK government perspective? Yeah, I mean, this is an unusual court case in lots of ways, not simply because it's a substantive argument around the nature of the independence referendum, which could have major implications for years ahead, I suppose, in terms of uh, what goes on in Scottish politics. Um, It's unusual because what is being asked here uh, of the court, the Supreme Court based in London, is a legal opinion. So essentially, it's not in strict legal terms it's not a battle which was what we're used to court what it is is the lord advocate dorothy bain uh, casey who is the scottish government's law officer has asked for an opinion scottish parliament has the power to pass a law which allows for a second independence referendum without any involvement of the uk government um, as you'll know, as your listeners will know, the last Scottish pens referendum um, relied upon um, an agreement between David Cameron and Alex Salmond as the First Minister and Prime Minister on who had the power to have a referendum. And there was a legal um, source which allowed the Scottish Parliament, created legal source was created to allow the Scottish Parliament to hold the referendum by the end of 2014. That um, ceded after the the referendum where the no vote won and that power returned to Westminster. Now, what has never been tested and put to the court or put anywhere is, well, is that the only procedure that you need to do a referendum, getting UK agreement on board? Or could you, as we've had in Scotland over the last six years with no agreement from the UK government, be it Theresa May, Boris Johnson, or now Liz Truss, with no agreement from them, can the Scottish Parliament do it without that agreement that David Cameron and Salmon um, 2012, 10 years ago? Um, so it's not an appeal. It's not a action against the UK government. It's um, what's called a referral of a legal question so that's if your viewers have been watching, your listeners have been watching any of it, that that tells you a little bit about how the cases are presented. It's not as combative as perhaps we'd be used to, or perhaps we have the image of in legal actions. It seemed to me, um, from my layman's perspective, that the arguments are sort of of a philosophical kind of nature. So we heard from the Scottish Lord Advocate. Arguments that sounded dramatically similar to the arguments of the SNP's political leadership. So it was about, for example, the number of mandates that the party has secured in concurrent elections and so on. Um, that kind of surprised me because I, 
what I think, um, what I often forget is this isn't like there's legislation passed in the Scottish Parliament it's, and then that's being tested in the Supreme Court. Rather, um, the Scottish Government has taken this case to the UK Supreme Court in advance to see... Exactly. It. Yeah. And, and that's that's the unusual thing, as I say, this referral, uh, which is relevant, uh, as we will probably come on to, that's relevant to what arguments have been put in, in the context of the case, because um, the procedure generally uh, for devolution, and essentially the Scottish Parliament is a creation of Westminster, literally, in the sense that there's an act of Parliament that was passed by Westminster in the late 1990s by uh, Blair's government that created the Scottish Parliament. And the model of devolution, which is in that statute, is uh, a reserved powers model which you'll be familiar with that phraseology, um, essentially meaning that the things which the Scottish Parliament can't do, cannot pass laws on, are listed in the Act. So the theory behind that model is it gives more power to the Scottish Parliament because the idea is if it's not on the list, then you can do it. Whereas previous models of devolution that were proposed, including by um, the... Labour government of, of Callaghan in the late 70s was the opposite, that you would create a Scottish Assembly whose powers would be explicitly listed, and that's all you could do. So this this the reserve powers model is the opposite of that. Now, the reserve powers, obviously, what it means is the Scottish Parliament cannot pass laws that deal with reserve matters. So, for example, a, a, a clear one would be... Um, immigration, which is listed as a reserve power. So the Scottish Parliament simply couldn't uh, uh, vote on a law which dealt with the immigration policy of Scotland. The there is a legal procedure in place in the Scotland Act that regulates this, that determines whether or not the Scottish Parliament has gone beyond its powers or not. Um, but as you've identified, that normally happens after a bill has gone through Parliament. So it's happened twice in significant ways in Scotland. Firstly, you might remember there was a Brexit law which was passed by the Scottish Parliament uh, concerning Scotland post-Brexit. There was also a law concerning the, the Convention of the Rights of the Child, an international treaty, and introducing that international treaty into Scots law. Both of those acts were challenged by the UK government because they argued it was beyond the powers of the Scottish Parliament. And they won both those cases, incidentally. Uh, and it was ruled by the Supreme Court that those laws were out with the powers of the Scottish Parliament, as created by the Scotland Act. However, they happened after the parliamentary process had occurred. So the bill had been debated, voted on several times, amended, etc., etc., before the challenge came. What we are discussing in the Scottish, uh, sorry, in the Supreme Court this week is a bill. Now, a bill is a proposed law which hasn't gone anywhere near Parliament yet. So, why this is legally significant is a big part of the UK government's argument, and actually the argument where they're most clearly in dispute with uh, Dorothy Bain uh, as the Lord Advocate is that this is a premature action and that the Scotland Act does not allow you to do it. 
the Scotland Act only allows a challenge to an act of par a proposed act of parliament to come at the end of the parliamentary process. And you can see the logic of that argument because, say, for example, the Supreme Court says, okay, this is fine as a bill. It's in the powers. It goes into the parliament and gets amended. Does that still apply, what the, the Supreme Court said? Is there another possibility of a legal challenge? So their argument is it's happened too soon. And that's actually a big part of what's been argued over the last couple of days, is whether or not the, the point that you've identified that this is just a proposal rather than a finished bill that's gone through the sort of the committees, the consultations, all the processes that, that go into the, the lawmaking structure in Scotland. But this is just the idea of the bill. Or it is worded, it's not just simply an idea, it's a worded bill, but it's not gone through that process. So a, a, a sort of procedural argument, although it does cut to the substance, is whether this is too early to do that. So given that, given that that's part of the picture here, that this is about proposed yeah. uh, legislation, is there a real danger that the Supreme Court is simply going to refuse to rule on this question? Yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure I'd put it as strong as a real danger. I, I mean, it's all legal terminology. A, a strong possibility, I would say. Maybe not a probability, but a strong possibility that could happen because or if it doesn't happen there has to be a clear explanation of why the supreme court thinks it can rule on it at this stage because it's never happened before and it depends on your reading of the scotland act whether or not you think you could fit that interpretation into the 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 law so again as an aside many people might have been wa watching this thinking they're going to get big arguments about you know self-determination and the rights of nations for freedom and all that, which are not. What you're getting is history interpretation battle, i.e. you're interpreting the Act of Parliament and what actually does it mean. Now, judges are used to that. In fact, that's a big part of judges' jobs is to interpret Acts of Parliament. But the the, the combination of that with the, the, the level of constitutional debate and impact this could have is a bit surreal at one level that you're talking about major issues, but it's it's on the, the sort of turn of a phrase almost that could go on. But it is a strong possibility that the court could say, well, this is not the correct procedure to use. And what could happen there is you could get the bill introduced in Parliament um, and we get another legal challenge at the end of the process. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm obviously thinking about this in terms of what is the Scottish National Party leadership's strategy with regards yeah. to this because of course like i say it was them who initiated this process and it's as you point out an unusual process yeah. um so yeah i, think part, I mean I, I i agree with that i think part of that was out of their hands because and part of it's to do with the lord advocate because i think the preferred strategy of the scottish government would have been to put the ball in the uk government's court to sort of play a game of chicken with them and say challenge this in court if you dare because then you could say all the stuff about you know UK government stopping democracy with some with some obviously strength behind that that this law has been passed by the Scottish Parliament it's been democratically endorsed by our representatives and the UK government want to stop it now that rhetoric is gone because it's the Scottish government themselves that are referring to it but I don't think they had a lot of choice because I think the Lord Advocate 
is actually quite conservative with a small C legally. And she wasn't prepared for the bill. She wasn't prepared to sign off the bill to go through Parliament. So this, what I think, was a compromise to allow it to happen without it going through Parliament. Um, I just want to touch on something you said earlier, because I think it's interesting and, and, and important to remember in these sorts of legal confrontations. Um, many people might imagine that, as in a, a courtroom drama, courts are sort of um, truly neutral spaces where, yeah, you know, people advocate different arguments yeah. and the best argument wins out or whatever. But as you pointed out, there have been a couple of occasions in recent years where the UK government has challenged um, the the Scottish Parliament as addressing issues outside of its competence. Yeah. And in both of those cases, the UK won its challenges. And that the UK Supreme Court is an artifice, artifice of the British state and, you know, the British legal system. Yeah. And that it is, you know, those courts are tasked with defending the constitutional integrity of that system. Yes. And the, the wording of the Scotland Act, which is tied in with the devolved settlement. So the wording of the Scotland Act does not allow um, dramatic arguments on, for example, self-determination, because that's not part of it. Now, there's an interesting aside where the SNP as a political party have put in a document to the court action uh, which is possible in some court actions. It's called making it being an in, um, an intervener. So you're allowed to intervene in a court case. Now, although they've put in that paperwork, they're not that that was the that was allowed, but they weren't allowed to speak to it. So the advocate employed by the SNP is can't stand up in court, hasn't stood up in court over the two days of hearings to argue that point. Uh, which was to do with the fact that self-determination is so fundamental, you should use that power to interpret it, which is quite a radical idea from what you're saying, because not really one which the Scottish courts or the English courts have ever used, which is looking to an international law principle over what the actual law of the country says. Um, so that that fits in with your sort of... Um, a, a, description of it as as maintaining constitutional integrity it's not simply that it's also using the structures that they recognize as sources of law within their uh, domain and that could be a critique of this argument this case is that it is restricted by the statute but in a sense that's a critique of the whole structure of devolution because devolution is restrictive by its nature because it's created by this specific act of parliament. Yeah, um, as as we often have to remind ourselves, the 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 Scottish government and the Scottish Parliament are also wards of the the, the British state uh, and yeah. you know, the British constitution. Um, so I I just kind of wanted to ask, and I know it's sort of breaching the area of um, legality and law but uh, and into the world of politics but do you think that there's a possibility here because i said the small part of the scottish lord advocates um speech that i did catch was very focused on um the snp's you know the scottish government's right to pursue yeah um uh, an independence referendum is it possible that the scottish government 
thinks that it will lose this case. And from everyone I've spoken to, the broad consensus is that it's very unlikely that the court will ultimately rule that Scotland can um, hold a referendum. The Scottish um, Parliament can legislate for a, a binding referendum, etc. And instead, what the, the, the Scottish government is, is trying to do here is use the Supreme Court as a soapbox to make its political case. Yeah, I think if, but if I think the point I made earlier, I think that would have been easier to do <laughs> if it was at the end of the process. You know what I mean? Because then you would have been able to say, well, look, we've we've voted as the whatever majority in favour of this bill, etc., etc. Add on top of that the rhetoric on the democratic mandate. The critique some members of the STMP might have if they've watched the court case is that Dorothy Bain did mention that at the start, but the argument quickly moved into the logistics of the legislation itself. Um, the political dimension to it, um, in terms of what happens after it, um, or, or using rather using it as a soapbox, I think has been limited because of the decision to use this particular procedure, um, which is more to do with, please tell us what the law is, not saying, how dare you challenge us, you know, which is what would happen. And what did happen to an extent, you might remember, I mean, there's so much going on, but that was the rhetoric around the Brexit law, because every political party in the parliament, including Labour and, and the Liberals, voted in favour of that law. The Tories were the only ones not to, but it was still set aside by the court, by the Supreme Court. So there was a quite heightened political rhetoric around that. It didn't alter the 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 the, the legal action, and in the big picture of Brexit, it didn't really change much on that either. Um, now this is a bit different because it's a different legal procedure, but arguably it's more convoluted the argument than the clear one about a political. Thing. So Lord Reid, who's the Scottish trained judge, who's the president of the Supreme Court, stated at the start of this yesterday that there's 8,000 pages of documents to go through. So people expecting a sudden, you know, this is the position, that's not going to happen. It could be several months before this is ruled on. And that, to me, suggests that this is, well, obviously, it's a very legalistic argument. You know what I mean? It's not they're not really considering these bigger political issues um, because that's not what they are, they're being asked to do. Now they might be they would be reluctant to do it. I think in most contexts anyway, but that's not really the job of what the court is here. It's actually quite a restrictive question they're being asked. So, um, just finally, after after months of examining this technical argument. Um, if it doesn't go the Scottish government's way, um, they've said that they will then go into a general election, if, of course, we haven't had one by then, yeah. um, with a single issue in the SNP's manifesto, um, which would be independence, and this has been referred to as a de facto referendum. Now, I don't know if that policy is going to survive. It seemed to me like it was being questioned uh, quite yeah, a lot or, or, or refined, put to put it refined, politely. Yeah, <laughs> um, at the SNP conference. But just to be clear on that, that wouldn't have any legal or constitutional weight, would it? I mean, that would be 
another Mandy. It, at most, you could say it would it would provide moral force, even if yeah, yeah. I, I, and I, I mean, I'm with you. I, I I wasn't even when it was announced. I wasn't exactly clear what they meant. I wasn't sure if they meant a proxy referendum, i.e., this is our referendum, or um, this means we should have a referendum. You know what I mean? Just as another pressure point. Um, if the idea is, and this is another discussion probably out with, well, probably after the, the judgment comes out might be an interesting one, if the Scottish government lose, which I think on balance is the more, most likely outcome, is if you're going to go to international law, um, such as it is, um, any precedents or precedent's not exactly the right phrase here in international law because it's very subjective international law in, in many instances. But for struggles for independence, proxy elections are not viewed that strongly as a method of uh, determining uh, independence from a, an existing state of the world. Um, referendums are the preferred model you know, an actual referendum, because elections could be something very different. So it, it always struck me as a bit surprising, given the SNP's rhetoric, it sometimes is about going to international law. A, a proxy election wouldn't really be a strong card, other than the point you've made about the general um, political argument of that, um, or of another mandate being ignored. Um and to me, even if that mandate was accepted by, say, a minority, I don't know, Labour government or whatever, you'd still have to have a referendum, I would say, um, of some description. So it's a bit of a problematic structure uh, to propose as a solution because it doesn't it doesn't deal with the central question about a, a democratic event. Um, elections, um, well, I don't have to rehearse the arguments. It's a cost of the living crisis. The, the Conservative government's in meltdown. Is everyone going to vote simply on a national question, et cetera, et cetera? It doesn't, something else could happen. The war in Ukraine could get deeper or something else could happen that would have an influence on an election. That's why the international law doesn't view elections as the biggest thing. It's a referendum because that's focused on the single issue of um, becoming a, a an independent state. So there'll have to be a lot of clarity after this result comes out, um, which I think did Nicholas Sturgeon say something about um, um, assessing or thinking about what the decision means, something like that, which I think is reflective of the fact is you can't, it's going to be difficult to immediately say we're going to have an election when this comes out in early, what, say, early 2023. Okay, uh, Dr. Nick McCarroll, thanks very much for your thoughts on that. It was very illuminating. Thanks, David. Cheers. Want more like this? Subscribe to Contra Radio on our SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sign up to our regular newsletter at contra.substack.com and find great articles and more at contra.scot. We really rely on listeners like you to help us grow. In return, you get access to exclusive content and events by joining our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Contra Scott.